Thank you for listening to the Antelope Island State Park podcast. My name is Madison, and today we're going to talk about the noxious weeds at Antelope Island. Noxious weeds, according to the Bureau of Land Management, are any plant designated by a federal, state, or county government as injurious to public health, agriculture, recreation, wildlife, or property. Essentially, it's a plant that grows out of place and that's particularly competitive. The terms noxious weed and invasive plant species are sometimes used interchangeably, and I'm guilty of that too, but they are technically different. Invasive species are species not native to an area. They evolved in a different ecosystem, and their existence in a new area posed threats to the overall ecosystem. Noxious weeds, however, are not necessarily invasive. They may be native species that pose a challenge to grazing, agriculture, or other activities, and they're often termed noxious because of changing landscapes or new industries in an area. As we covered, it's a term that a government body places on a species because of its threat to an ecosystem or industry. So it's kind of similar to how a square is a rectangle, but a rectangle isn't a square. Utah currently has 54 noxious weeds. There are about 15 to 20 noxious weeds on Antelope Island. Well, 15 to 20 species, not individual plants. Multiple agencies work across the state together, of course, because plants and seeds don't obey property lines or jurisdiction. Utah also has 20 cooperative weed management areas that engage federal, state, local, local governments, landowners, and Native American tribes. Non-Native plants in the West were originally due to human activity, often intentionally. People would bring plants or seeds from the East Coast or Europe in foodstuffs or materials, often not knowing it. The problem was exacerbated after decades of open-range grazing, allowing for invasive grasses specifically that are able to produce seeds and overcome areas of grazed natural vegetation. In our modern era, invasive species may be here due to imported food or as decorative plants. Sometimes they might be smuggled in, but sometimes they're just not identified as problematic when they arrive. One particularly pervasive invasive grass in Utah is cheatgrass, which is able to outcompete native grasses by completing a life cycle before native grasses. Since Utah's animals did not develop alongside these noxious weeds, they don't find them tasty or they find them poisonous, so they won't eat them. Utah's animals will continue to eat the native plants they're familiar with, which allows for a greater advantage for the invasive weeds. Cheatgrass specifically is a big problem because it has altered the fire return interval in areas that were previously dominated by sagebrush. Whereas sagebrush steppe uh, environments could be relied on to have a fire every 60 to 100 years, the quantity of biomass um, of cheatgrass has reduced the fire return interval to three to five years. This is an example of how an entire ecosystem is at risk by, by one invasive species. So it's easy to see how runaway populations of these species push ecosystems into a tailspin, reducing animal feed and habitat, changing fire intervals, and outcompeting native species. This is why it's so important for Stephen Bates, Antelope Island's biologist, to be aware of the noxious weeds on the island and manage their spread. There are a few methods used for managing invasive species, mechanical, biological, chemical, and cultural. So pulling, mowing, controlling, burning are mechanical methods introducing or supporting pests that target invasive species or interrupting their reproductive cycles would be biological. Herbicides are chemical and cultural management would entail maybe altering grazing patterns of animals. 
And one, the one method that you would use is dependent upon the type of plant, its reproductive cycle, and how pervasive it is. So on Antelope Island, Steve has a few seasonal employees and volunteers who really go after some of these noxious weeds. They mow areas where some weeds dominate and they also pull out the ones that they can. Control methods, as I said, vary depending on the type of plant. Some of these plants have huge rhizomatous, rhizomatous, rhizomatous root systems. It's a crazy word. It, is, it comes from the word rhizome, it's, which is a type of plant that grows underground that is often confused for a root. So for example, ginger is a rhizome, it's not a root. So any plant with these rhizomatous root systems, it's, ve it's not very effective to go out there with your gloves and just yank it out. They're very heavily intertwined and impacted. So Antelope Island currently has about 15 to 20 noxious weeds. Some of the most prominent ones are Dalmatian toadflax, Scotch thistle, Canada thistle, spotted knapwood, dyer's woad, puncture vine or goathead, and tamarisk. Just listing names like that isn't terribly exciting, but I promise that if you're a Utahan or you've spent time here, you've seen many of these plants. For example, Dalmatian toadflax is actually a very beautiful plant in my opinion. Toadflax grows straight and upright. It is a narrow plant with a woody base and has these bluish green, almost heart-shaped leaves that spiral up the stalk. It can get to about four feet tall and its yellow flowers look very similar to snapdragon flowers. Uh, when these plants are smaller, it's not too difficult to grab the stalk and just yank it out. But the problem is with how quickly they grow and their ability to reproduce and just invade an entire area. Dalmatian toadflax does contain a glucoside compound, which is poisonous to cattle, but they're not eaten a lot, and the primary issue is that they can take over large areas all at once. Other plants that you're probably familiar with are the Scotch thistle and the Canada thistle. Now, Canadians may have something to say about the Canada thistle because they are also invasive in Canada. They're from Europe, like the Scotch and the bull thistles. And just by saying the word thistle, you're probably imagining a sharp, pokey green plant and that can get very tall and has bright purple flowers. That's exactly it. The Scotch thistle is the larger of the two. It can grow to over six feet tall if left alone. And the Canada thistle is a little bit smaller. The Canada thistle has a complex root system that allows it to survive throughout harsh winters and it can propagate through shoots asexually. So, and the Scotch thistle can only reproduce through seeds and doesn't do that fun root shoot thing that the Canada thistle can do. They are biennials and unfortunately honeybees love the thistles and they're a great source of pollen and nectar. So they are, they're able to reproduce very well here. The final noxious weed I'll talk about is Dyer's Woad. It is a biennial just like the Scotch thistle and it looks very similar to mustard. And I'm going to do my best to describe it without making it sound like Dalmatian toad flats. Dyer's Woad grows as thin, almost wispy stalks with bluish green leaves, um, but they're longer and, and uh, softer. They also produce yellow flowers that are more traditional looking, kind of how you might draw a, draw a quick sketch of a generic yellow flower. The flowers grow in, cr in clusters at the top of the plant, and when they go to seed, each plant can produce around 500 seeds. So Dyer's Woad is more than happy to propagate around here. It is not known to be toxic, and generally for control methods, hand pulling is considered the best and the easiest. As I, as I mentioned, weeds don't obey property or jurisdiction boundaries. So every county has a weed supervisor. And according to Steve, that's where the bulk of the work takes place. 
For example, the, the Department of Davis County, their weed supervisor, will come out to the island every year and chemically spray the road shoulders. This allows for Steve to focus on noxious weeds away from the road and where they have more space to grow in areas between, between trails where the animals live. There is also a Utah Weed Control Association made up of weed specialists. They participate with state and local agencies to form CWMAs, Cooperative Weed Management Areas. They are very effective because they involve multiple jurisdictions and people. So CWMAs combine the experience and skill of professionals, volunteers, government officials, and you know any private property owners to manage noxious weeds. The weed cooperatives and the weed supervisor will communicate with local nurseries, with plant nurseries. Steve said there are still nurseries who sell invasive plants, and the average person won't go into a weed list to identify them. So they really try to work with the nurseries to get them to stop selling these invasive species. All in all, noxious invasive plants are a real problem. They threaten the integrity of our biodiversity, which has ripple effects into industry, animal populations, our ability to use and play in our state as we as we wish. So it's very important to check out your yard, remove any invasive plants if you can, and make sure you don't plant any type of noxious weed. You can find more information on Utah's noxious weeds at ag.utah.gov. You can also track the noxious weed progress at usg.maps.arcgis.com and see what areas of the state have noxious weeds and what has been done to fix that. Thank you for listening to the Antelope Island State Park Podcast. If you like what you hear, please subscribe and tell a friend. And if you don't, tell me. Send me a note at tackley at utah.gov and let me know what you'd like to hear more about. Park information and conditions can be found on our website at antelopeisland.utah.gov. Find us on Facebook at Antelope Island SP, on Twitter at Antelope Island SP, on Instagram at Antelope Island State Park, and you can search for us on YouTube. I hope to see you on the island soon.